1: Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily.
3: The season may be over, but there's still plenty of Premier League news to get stuck into here on Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Down to three days a week at the moment rather than seven days because the season has, as I'm sure you know, only just finished, but still so much to get through today, including good news if you're a Chelsea fan, as the UK government have approved the takeover of the club by a consortium fronted by American Todd Burley. The Abramovich era is over. What does the future hold at Stamford Bridge? Plus, the England squad has been announced. Gareth Southgate, of course, looking ahead to the Qatar World Cup at the end of 2022. But some fresh faces in the latest announcement of that playing squad, including Jared Bowen of West Ham and a surprise inclusion for a player from Leicester City. We'll get on to that very, very shortly here on Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and alongside me this morning, we've got Ian Brannan and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. Morning, guys. First of all, Ian, I'll come to you because we haven't spoken to you since the season concluded last Sunday. And what a day it was. I bet your heart rate was up and down and up and down. One minute you were relegated, the next minute you were safe. And in the end, you did get the job done as a Leeds United fan. You must be very relieved.
0: Yes, that was a roller coaster of emotions, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't just the match. It was the fact that there's other stuff going on elsewhere. And I didn't think that it would be that exciting, but it was really exciting. I mean, great great in the way it worked out. What a story for, for Leeds United. And to see those scenes at the end... Um, you know it was absolutely fantastic and my my daughter she's five and she, she hasn't really experienced much in the way of football um, because she's um, seems to be brought up as a Sunderland fan so <laughs> there we go but it's been quite a week for her because of course on Saturday we were watching the, the playoff final Sunderland getting promoted to the championship so she's all there for the party for that and then the the, the scenes she didn't realise that that Leeds had just sort of saved their skin and that's what the celebrations were about she thought that they like won another trophy or something so she said when 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 do they let the fireworks off? I said, they are doing now in the stand. Um, So there's no trophy, though. Don't worry about that. And then she's excited for the World Cup, thinking that's going to happen in the summer. I said, no, you've got to wait until nearly Christmas for that. So it's good for these moments. And I think the euphoria. um, I'm I'm, I'm pleased that there was no sort of stupid pitch invasion after what we were talking about last week, you know, that everybody behaved themselves. And it just shows you can do it, you know, if you've got a bit of restraint about you. You you don't like, oh, I couldn't help myself. I just had to find myself in the centre circle you know to see those scenes with Rafinha um celebrating with the with the fans is it was tremendous i, I don't think anyone's in any illusion that he'll still be there next season but um you know a great moment and i think sometimes Whilst it's not great to be down at the bottom of the table, when it works out like that, to have those moments in your life, they're going to be things that people are going to remember forever. And, uh, uh, you know, great, uh, the, some of the joy and the euphoria that, that football can bring, bring is just amazing, really, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's always nice to score a last minute goal just to make doubly sure that I know, you are surviving. that was
0: it. it- it was like, if you, if you were going to write a script for it, for the drama, that you couldn't have written it any better. It was just, it just had everything, you know, Brentford going down to nine men and uh, the drama of stuff that was going on elsewhere. I mean, honestly, I just, that last 10 minutes, I was just pacing up and down. I couldn't, I couldn't look. I just couldn't look. It was just ridiculous. And then they score that goal. It was brilliant. But anyway, you know, on to next season. That's the thing now. They've got this chance. They've got themselves out of jail. Um, I think that we'll see a different... Um, a different approach the next season because with Bielsa not being there Bielsa was very careful about people he had in his squad I think uh, we might see a bit more of a spending spree and they're already on with that with uh, Aronson from Red Bull Salzburg uh, rumoured to be good player by the way yeah well he's they they tried to get him in the last um, transfer window but at the time Salzburg was still involved in the Champions League and uh, he wanted to finish the job there but he's a player that Jesse Marsh obviously knows well. Um, people are saying, yeah, but he's playing in the Austrian League. But there's a lot of players that used to play in the Austrian League have gone on to be worldies. Um, and that's where Leeds are at. They've got to pick these players up before they get famous rather than paying 80 million quid from Man City to to get them, which is never going to happen. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great player. Um, look at the stats. He's an absolute monster. Uh, and, uh, you know, if Leeds can get him in and get a few years out of him before everybody else starts getting excited, which, uh, you know, that's got to be a good thing.
3: Yeah, last season, actually, I got to commentate on a few Austrian Bundesliga matches and a fair few were involved in Red Bull Salzburg. And Brendan Aronson was only 19 at the time, but Jesse Marsh, obviously being an American himself, as is Aronson, um, there seemed to be a bit of a connection there. And he did look very accomplished with just 19 years of age. And you're right to mention a lot of players have come from that league and done well, um, even just come through Salzburg and done well. You look at Erling Haaland to be a prime example of that. You look at someone like Patson Dacca, who was the striker last season in the same team as Aronson. He's moved on to Leicester. Uh, Karim Adeyemi has just moved on to Borussia Dortmund. There are a number of other examples as well. I think um, Minamino, was he not part of the Red Bull yes, stable? Yes, Sadio um, Mane as well. Mane, Wang well, chan There's so many good examples.
0: Leeds are uh, apparently back in for Minamino as well. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a very different side. We're going to see Red Bull leads, uh, but without the name, I think, next <laughs> season, um, because it's, you know, the, bringing in the people that, that he knows. And that, that's what you do, isn't it? If if you're a manager of any, any business or whatever, if you've got contacts, if you've got people you know you can work with and you know who are going to do the job you want doing – Then why wouldn't you go get them? And uh, and it's it's a great situation. Obviously, we would be having a very different conversation had Leeds gone down, because it would have been uh, there certainly would have been a, a good number of players on their way out because they wouldn't be able to afford them or indeed offer them what they wanted. But now Leeds staying up. It, it means that, yes, I think Rafinha, there's talks about him going to Barcelona. He's in the Brazil squads. <laughs> you know, you can you can see where he's probably thinking there. And uh, I think he would go with Leeds fans' well wishes as long as they get a decent fee for him. Um, but then people like Calvin Phillips, you can now see maybe staying because he's playing Premier League football, he's in the England squad, uh, and he, he's got a chance to be a major part of, of Leeds. Whereas if he goes to Liverpool or anywhere else, I think he would go with the understanding and blessing of fans. Um, but, you know, he's he's, he's not going to be that a, a bigger leader as, as he probably would be at Leeds now that they've stayed up. Had they gone down, yeah, he would have been out of there.
3: Yeah, absolutely right about Calvin Phillips back in the England squad. We'll talk about the England squad very, very shortly. And I'm sure we'll talk about transfers as well over the course of the summer, but not today because the news leading the agenda when it comes to the Premier League comes from Chelsea. And we talk about looking ahead to next season already. Certainly, Chelsea fans will be doing that with some trepidation, not knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be when it comes to the ownership of their football club. But the government this morning have approved Todd Burley's backed takeover of the club from Roman Abramovich. Of course, the Russian Abramovich was sanctioned due to Russia's involvement in the war in Ukraine, their invasion of the country. And uh, his assets were frozen, including Chelsea Football Club, of course, was one of his assets. And uh, the club have been operating under this special license introduced by the government, which was set to expire on the 31st of May. So that's what, you know, not even 10 days away from now. It's probably about a week away from the time we're recording this podcast. So time was of the essence. And so it's good news this morning, Joel, that the consortium has passed the fit and proper owner's test. And it looks like, but for some last minute shenanigans that this deal is going to go through.
2: Yeah, it seemed like a bit of a complex one. I'm just surprised that the government have actually been quite competent on something for once, but um, they've managed (laughs) to actually get it over the line. And I'm sure it'll be a massive relief for Chelsea fans. I just think that this deal has so many different impacts right now and for the future in terms of just world football in general, because I kind of see it almost like setting a precedent in terms of pricing now, because now that they've got an official figure, which is 4.25 billion And they're a club which, of course, they're one of the biggest clubs in the world, but by no means are they the biggest. So when you look at, for example, when Neymar left for PSG, I see it having that kind of ripple effect where it completely blew out of the water any other club purchase in history. I think it's it's going to be probably four times the highest now. It's the most expensive club, club purchase in history. And the way in which PSG bought Neymar and it literally inflated every other price in the market. I think when you look at, for example, the Glazers or Arsenal, when um, the owner of Spotify, Daniel Elk, put in that £1.8 billion offer for Arsenal and they re- well they didn't even reject it, they just kind of ignored it. You can damn right tell themselves now that they will never accept anything near that in the future because now they've seen that Chelsea, 4250000000 billion, they're not... They're not massively smaller than than Chelsea. They've probably got more heritage than
3: Chelsea. I think it's a great point. I think it's a great point. I mean, 4.25 billion is an eye-watering amount of money. I personally don't think Chelsea's worth that. I mean, if Manchester United are valued at 4 billion, if Liverpool are valued at something similar, you know, they're the two biggest clubs in the country. Some might say two of the biggest clubs in the world. They're bigger than Chelsea. And I think you're absolutely spot on. If you're looking at owners um, possibly selling their clubs in the future... Chelsea's gone for four point two five billion, then surely some of those other clubs that arguably are bigger than Chelsea could go for more and we'll probably see these owners
2: latch onto their clubs even more now because of the mere fact that they know maybe Chelsea's a bit more location dependent because it's quite rare for a London club, a top London club to come up for sale, and you know having a an asset like Chelsea in the location it is. I'm sure that adds you know a few extra billion onto the price. Um, but I think it's just, well, first of all, I'm quite happy to see that the government are acting as these kind of independent intermediaries where they're really auditing Tom Bowley and his, his intentions and whether he's actually fit for purpose to run a football club. Because I think in the past clubs have just been seen as commodities, but they're not, they're actually cultural assets, which are very, very important to every single city in the country. And we see it, my God, you can name a billion examples. You know, the Glazers doing a leverage takeover in 2005 or Mike Ashley's takeover. And I think this is a good step because now they're actually auditing them in the prospect that they're not going to have a downward spiral in 5, 10, 15 years time as we've seen with many of these owners. So I think it could be a pathway to the future in terms of the way in which this is actually done, the processes in which it's done and having the right people overlook what exactly is going into the deal and who's in the deal? But in terms of Chelsea's future, I think immediately they will invest because they have to. Uh, they need the fans on side because Abramovich. I think he's held in Chelsea fans' hearts, and they always will be. You know, irrespective of what's gone on off the field. In terms of bringing success to their club, he has changed the game for them. Changed world football, in fact. In terms of making Chelsea a household name, but now that his cash injection. And everyone knew what his intentions were at Chelsea are now gone. And you have an American owner, which haven't got the best reputation in England for football clubs. You know, you only have to look at Stan Kroenke, the Glazers, even the Gillettes at Liverpool a few years ago. They don't make a great name for themselves in terms of, after the investment, actually making their clubs com- competitive constantly. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, maybe not in the next two years because he'll definitely invest and they have to, but in the next five years, I'm really interested to see what kind of team Chelsea have because Abramovich's intentions were clear, but when it comes to American owners and the way in which they like to spend their money, they always want a return, always. And I think that's going to be the most interesting point, I think, in terms of how competitive Chelsea are in the next five to ten years, really.
3: Yeah, we'll drill a little deeper into what next season might look like for Chelsea in a second, but just kind of going back to the general crux of your point there, Joel, my cynical mind, Ian would argue, is any football club, whether it be Chelsea or even the biggest ones in the world, truly worth that sum of money, 4.25 billion. For example, Newcastle United are a big club in this country, probably not as big as Chelsea, I think it's fair to say, but they were sold for 300 million. Is... Chelsea ten times more valuable than Newcastle United. I personally don't think it is. You know, you look at these clubs and what they're worth, and it's just insane.
0: It's it's not the value of the club, though, is it? It's it's the value of the owners, I think, and the value the clubs put on the owners. Um, oh, sorry, the owners put on the clubs, I should say. Because now, yeah, um, Newcastle was bought for three hundred million, but if the current owners were to put it up for sale, they would want more than three hundred million for it you know they they would be valuing it in the billions because they are billionaires newcastle on paper at least we are yet to see it but on paper are the richest club in in the world by a long way and of course the money that's that's backing newcastle is is um firstly in some respects quite mysterious but of, of course that's spread across various different assets with this I mean it is a billionaire's game now isn't it because to run a to run a club in 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 the Premier League is a billionaire's game that's why clubs Um, who are well run and there's nothing against the likes of Burnley or Norwich or even Leeds United you know they're they're, they're well run clubs with really really rich people but they're not multi-billionaires we've gone from the days of having being a multi-millionaire to run a football club being a successful businessman in this country to being a tycoon to be able to afford to run a football club, and that's where it's at now. And it's like you say, it's only going to go up because that's the value of all these kind of things. Only goes up, and you look at some of the stuff that that Ted Boley, um also owns. You have to wonder where Chelsea fits in. Well, you don't have to wonder. <laughs> you have to wonder where everything else that he owns fits in with Chelsea. And in some respects, it's quite easy to see because he's got lots of shares in various media and entertainment corporations, Dick Clark Productions. Here's a question. What does Ted Bowley have to do with Sunderland Football Club? Hmm. I don't know. Did he...
3: Sanction the documentary or something.
0: Not far off. Uh, he uh, he is an investor in the company that make the documentary, Fullwell Seventy Three, which are a, a, a bunch of Sunderland lads actually who who set it up. The, the same company that do Carpool Karaoke and it's a company that's part owned by James Corden. But he's he's invested in that. He's uh, a part owner of the the LA Dodgers. Um, he's you know he's got his things in so many pies. Even even he's a, he's an investor in the American Pizza chain chucky e. cheese
3: so uh, <laughs> oh, we can look God. out for
0: that at halftime at Chelsea oh.
3: coming soon I hope not and you know what I don't want to disrespect any of our American listeners because I know we get a fair few um, across the pond listening to Football Social Daily but just going back to what Joel said about the American reputation in amongst football ownership I think that there is a an argument there to suggest that that reputation is probably not the best, and I think the reason for that is because English football or British football even is so unique in terms of the depth of our pyramid. You know, I'm talking about my team who are in the third division, and when we were sold, we we're in the fourth division, going for seven million. Um, Promotion and relegation doesn't exist, and I think that people coming in um, from an American sports background in terms of buying clubs, not fans. I think fans are far more understanding. But in terms of businessmen coming in trying to buy an English football club and they see the money and the dollar bill signs um, that the Premier League is generating. And they, I think they think it is going to operate like what American sports operate like. For instance, in the Super Bowl, the the, the owners of the team get to lift the trophy. Um, you don't really see that in English football. It's all about the players and what the players do. So that's just a small little um Sort of comparison to make, but I think that it's quite a dangerous thing to think coming into the Premier League and, and thinking that you're going to be able to treat it like an, a, an American style sports franchise because it just doesn't quite work like that.
0: No, and the, the, the fan, I think the whole setup of sport in this country is different to America in general. In, in America, I think they, the fans see things as a franchise. You don't get humongous outcries if, for example, like in NFL, you get a team moving from one city to another. You know, they just sort of swallow it up and go, well, you know, it was nice while it lasted. Um, Obviously, the football clubs here are much more of a fabric of our society. We've grown up with them. They've been there for 100 years. They've got much more history. They don't have the history in America. Everything's much more plastic and disposable. Whereas here, we have the history and, you know, he has to remember... Uh, that he is the new caretaker of uh, and custodian of 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 the history of of Chelsea Football Club, and it's not another of his. It's not just another of his um, investments here. You know and that's where the Americans I think go wrong. They treat everything very much as this is an investment. It's 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 something that's material. It's not something that I'm emotionally invested in. It's business. But of course, in this country, football is business. It has to be, whether we like it or not. But there is that emotional aspect of of these clubs that are so important to you know, everyone who who follows that respected club, whoever it is.
3: Yeah, totally agree. And that's why Chelsea fans would be pretty happy with the news because as the 31st of May deadline was approaching, I'm sure there were a few nerves. Considering the deal almost fell through amid concerns that the proceeds of the sale wouldn't go to good causes, as has been promised by the UK government. And in fact, the proceeds of this sale, all 4.25 billion of it, um, will go into a frozen bank account and then be donated to charity and will be kept away from Roman Abramovich as was originally set out by the government. At least that's what we're told at the moment. Um, Okay, let's focus on next season again, Joel. You mentioned it a few moments ago. What does that look like for Chelsea? I mean, what can fans expect now that they've got someone who's paid a significant amount of money for this football club? Someone who's worth a significant amount of money, as Ian rightly points out. Are they going to be spending? Are they going to be signing players like Lewandowski? They need some centre-backs? Or do Chelsea fans need to temper their expectations and be happy that they're just still around. Yeah, I think with this
2: takeover, I think a condition of it with why it was so much was the fact that he wants guaranteed investment. Uh, Roman Bramovic wants it for Chelsea, and I think that's probably why it's taken so long because I bet there were so many conditions to agree to. Um, But when you look at the current squad, like you say, it is in desperate need of investment now because nearly the whole back four is going or has gone. Antonio Rudiger's gone to Real Madrid. Christensen's going to Barcelona. Uh, Marcus Alonso may be going to Barcelona, as well as Azpilicueta might be going. And then Thiago Silva's 38 years old. I mean, they've got a massive task on their hands, just replacing a defence. And that's not even the only problem. You then look to the, the next stage, which is the midfield. Kante looks like he's on a big decline now along with maybe needing some reinforcements around Kovacic or around Jorginho and then obviously when you go ahead of that Romelu Lukaku 100 million last summer and he's not producing so wh- whoever well when Tomboli comes in charge now they have they have a massive summer ahead of them and the only difficulty now is that it's only now that they've realized what kind of money they have what strategy they want going forward but they are a month or so behind every other football club in Europe in terms of the strategy and the plan. So they're a little bit behind in terms of maybe the, their targets. I'm sure they already have a, a big draft of targets, but only now can they really start executing it a little bit more. So it's going to be... I think it's going to be a very turbulent summer for Chelsea um, and I think also next season because I think they're in a big transitional period um, where that European Championship winning side is starting to decline a little bit in terms of what they're actually giving in terms of how watertight it was when they won the uh, when they won the Champions League and now it's basically all been dismantled. So it's going to be a really interesting summer for a lot of clubs actually. It's going to be a big summer for many clubs in terms of trying to keep the pace of City and Liverpool next season. So I'm just very interested to see what kind of investment Tom Bowley's going to Actually, put forward because as you, as we've all mentioned, American ownership hasn't got the best reputation in England. But I definitely do think that the terms of the sale were that in the next few years, a big bulk of that 4.25 billion has to go towards investment or some kind. I'm sure it'll have to be a guarantee because I don't think Roman Abramovich would leave the club high and dry with an owner who is not really intending to take it where he wanted to take it.
3: Yeah, I mean it's hard to know how Abramovich actually fits into this. I was thinking about it because when he put the club on the market before he was sanctioned, he wanted 3 billion for it. The fee has ended up being 4.25 billion, so 1.25 more than what he originally asked for, but was he the one setting the asking price in the end? Was it the UK government? What's the breakdown of the monies and where does it go? I think there's a little bit of shadiness still in sort of in surrounding this Chelsea takeover but anyway um, the government have approved Todd Burley's takeover of the club from Roman Abramovich good news for Chelsea fans in the main I'm sure when we learn a little bit more about that on the podcast we'll bring you that news over the course of the summer next up on the show we're going to discuss the England squad we'll do that next after this quick break football's social
1: daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
3: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. We're down to three days a week because the season has concluded. If you want to catch up in podcast form... All of the immediate reaction from that drama on Sunday afternoon, then you can do so by scrolling back in the Football Social Daily timeline. Next week, we'll also be bringing you our annual Football Social Daily awards. So will be picking up the gongs and the prizes from this season's brilliant Premier League campaign. But for now, we're going to talk about the England squad on today's show. Alongside me, Joel and Ian, and Gareth Southgate is named his latest England squad for the Nations League games with Hungary, Germany, and Italy. There are some fresh faces, Ian, which include the likes of Jared Bowen of West Ham United and Leicester City's James Justin, the young fullback. Let's focus on Bowen first, though. West Ham finished seventh. They were top four contenders for a long while. They reached the Europa League semi-finals. David Moyes has done a good job, but Jared Bowen has been so important for West Ham. 18 goals and 13 assists for them this season. And I think for many, a worthy choice for England inclusion.
0: Yeah, I think he's been on the radar for um a little while now, hasn't he? He's 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 been there or thereabouts and I know that Leeds United were were trying to get him at at one point I seem to remember and and he went off to um to West Ham ultimately um in 2020 but he's he, he was a great player for for Hull City and I think he was there for about six or seven seasons and he scored a, quite a lot of goals and so it, his name has been around football for quite a long time, especially, say, in the Championship. He, he, he blasted through the Championship in that sort of era before he ended up going to West Ham. And, and then as always happens really with players you know when you take that step up you you also maybe take a slight step back in, in the scheme of things and it's taken him a year or two to really find his form I think at, at that level but he's getting there now and he's he's now showing in the Premier League what he was showing in, in the Championship and he is going to go on to be a, a top player um, and it's no surprise to see him in the England squad I, I'm, I, the only surprise is I think it's taken so long for him to get until now to get into the England team because as I say he's certainly been on the radar. Um, it's just, I suppose, the the competition that he's had in those positions over the time. But it's great that he's finally got there, and um, he's he's got the chance now to get some time on the pitch um, at the, at England level and get his England cap. And um, it's it's fantastic stuff. But I think it's it has been a a long time coming, and I'm not surprised to see him in the squad.
3: Yeah, we've spoken a couple of times in the last few weeks, Jill, about the potential players of the season. And Jared Bowen was actually nominated for the Premier League Player of the Season Award. And I think we suggested if we took the Liverpool and Manchester City players out of it, the two standout candidates, if you ignore the two top teams in the Premier League, for Player of the Season would be Son Heung-min of Tottenham and Jared Bowen of West Ham. And I think that's fair, don't you think?
2: Yeah, 100%. I think this call looks probably very, very long overdue. um, And it's probably the uh, the unfortunate of, for example, Jadon Sancho and Marcus Rashford that he's been able and he's he's been able to raise his game while all the other typical players who get called up have been off the game completely, um but he's been one of the best players for West Ham if not the best player for West Ham this season and we all know how good of a season it was for them getting to the semi-finals of the Europa League having a pretty strong finish in the in the Premier League I'm sure they would have wanted to finish higher but when they had all eyes on that European campaign, Jarrah Bowen was the guy who was putting in the goals in most of those uh, knockout games. So I think for him, it'll be a very, very long time coming. And you could say that for many of the the guys who've been called up like Tamori, Tammy Abraham. You just hope that they actually get a chance in the side now because they fully deserve it. Every single one of them, has, well, especially you know the two in Italy, Tamori and Abraham, they've been two of the best players in Syria this season. Um, and Jarrod Bowen has been one of the best players in the Premier League. So it's it's always quite funny, this England squad, because with Southgate, he, in the past, they've always been managers who've picked players purely based on reputation rather than actual form. And yet Southgate has a balance of the two where he picks players who bang out of form, and you can name a number of them in that England squad, but they always play well for England. And then you see Jarrod Bowen, who hasn't really had the chance to play for England um but he's been absolutely amazing in the premier League, but you can 't really argue against it because i mean he 's got England to the best finishes since nineteen ninety six so uh, sorry nineteen sixty six um so i mean you can 't really argue with his selection, but I think for Jared Bowen, if he can really put some good performances in um in these three friendlies, he has to be a sure fit for the for the for the World Cup, but then i mean it's granted that you need to he needs to also hope that the likes of Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford don't start picking up their form again because I would like to see what decision would be made if they're all on a level playing field again. Yeah,
3: I mean, that's a question, isn't it, in itself, Ian? Hungary, you'd expect England to beat them even with possibly a a B-string squad. Germany and Italy would be much tougher tests. It'd be interesting to see what squad is picked against Italy considering what happened in the Euros. But how much will Gareth Southgate be thinking ahead to that World Cup in Qatar which starts at the end of November And runs all the way up to uh, mid-December. How much will that be in his mind? Is it just a case of getting some of these players accustomed to the England environment? Because Joel's right. Bowen's performed really well this season and probably could have got in earlier. However, this is his first call-up. He's probably going to get his first cap. He's been posting on his Instagram about how excited he is. However, it would probably be a lot more of a risk and a lot more pressure on Jared Bowen just to pick him for the World Cup having never played for England before. Taking uncapped players to the World Cup is something that England managers have done in the past and it hasn't really worked out. So do you think it's a case of just getting him accustomed and acclimatised to the England environment so that if he is in good form come November, December, and he is selected to go to the World Cup, that he feels a little bit more comfortable and there's maybe less pressure?
0: Yes, I think um, it is going to be an an acclimatisation Sort of job, and it has to be because you look at the fixtures that England have got. They've got these four fixtures in June coming up in the the Nations League, a couple more fixtures in September, and then as it stands at the moment, that's it. You know, we're, we're straight into the, the the World Cup in November, so there's there's not actually much chance to to get the guys together. In a in a tournament environment with a you know a semi meaningful game you know they, they, it's not just a pointless friendly it's in, it is a, a competitive match um, it is going to give the guys chance to um, you know to, to, to bond and spend time together and and for these new guys surely you know getting used to the environment getting used to the routine that they have I noticed they're playing at Molyneux as well which means that it's not going to be a, a big long journey for them if they're the basing themselves at St George's Park it's it's not too long of a trip down the road. To, to Wolverhampton from there. So, you know, they're keeping things fairly low-key on, on that front. There's no major missions apart from their their away trips, of course. Um so yeah I think it it it's one of the few chances he's got because if if Gareth Southgate is going to have a rethink for whatever reason about the guys he's got together and obviously the you know it is a, a fairly strong squad considering the time of year when a lot of the players are going to be, wanting to be off on holiday uh, you know he hasn't got many other chances he's got a game against Italy and again a game against Germany in September and as it stands that's it you know there's 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 no uh there's no other sort of major international breaks leading up to the the World Cup but certainly planned at this moment in time. So it's going to come around very quickly. So, yeah, and it's this is the longest period he's going to have the players together as well before the World Cup. So, um, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be thinking about the World Cup. He has to be, surely.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that that's a really good point because I think it's September is the next international break. There isn't one in October because the World Cup starts in mid-November. So he's only yeah, got and this. And it's the end
0: of September as well. Twenty seventh. Right, yeah.
3: yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's only this international break, and then the September one, and then it's decision time for the World
2: Cup. So-, so do we think that? So do we think that the players in the squad now is pretty much going to be the squad in the World Cup because the players coming back in the season? Well, surely two months of good form isn't going to really change much. Well, I think it the-
3: depends when he announces the squad. So you know, the last international break before the World Cup is September. But I think if he announces it mid-October for the squad to leave mid-November to get to Qatar, I think maybe because the season starts early, doesn't it, next season? It starts at the beginning of August. Maybe three months is enough uh, in terms of players that are in form. Um, And maybe we will see Sancho. Maybe we will see Rashford because you know these players are very talented players. They're just not in good form at the moment. And so much can change between now and October, even though it seems pretty much impossible to see how Rashford or Sancho can get back in the squad with the way they're playing the way Manchester United are playing they've got a new manager coming in so they could be incredible next season likewise Jarry Bowen might not be up to it next season in the same way he has been this season so there's so many different permutations and variables there what I think is interesting is what you mentioned before Joel about Tammy Abraham and Fikayo Tomori Tomori And Abraham, both former Chelsea players, have both left the club to explore pastures new. Tomori's just won the Scudetto, the Serie A title, in Milan with AC. Tammy Abraham has scored 17 goals in all competitions or maybe even 18 goals for Roma this season. They're actually competing in the final of the first ever Europa Conference League tonight against Feyenoord in Albania. He'll be playing in that game, I'm sure. And no English player in any of the European top divisions has scored more goals than Tammy Abraham. He's the the leading English scorer across Europe, if you will. Um, It just shows that players can be recognised if they're competing abroad and that that fear of possibly not being included in an England squad because you're playing your trade overseas is starting to ebb away
2: and it's about time to be honest because in the last squad I think both especially Tamarius he still should have been called up and I really don't get what the hesitation was from Southgate because what, up until even like-
3: players like Smalling Joel I mean I've been watching Roma a few times this season just for work and stuff and uh, the two or three times I've watched Chris Smalling he's been absolutely outstanding um, whether that's enough for him to be recognised by Southgate again. Who knows? But it seems like there's a bit of a, a toss-up between Southgate having his favourites, but also being willing to take a risk. For example, Maguire's not had the best season, but he's in. But yet, Fikayo Tomori, who some people might have thought was overlooked, he's also in. So I guess there's a, a bit of six of one and half a dozen of the other.
2: Well, Southgate actually did mention that you know, for example, the fact that he left out Tyrone Mings, he said that there's a sense of loyalty he has to players who've done well for him. So I'm sure, you know, even if they're not performing as well, he'll always still have that loyalty, as we see with Maguire, for example. But Tamari, I'm super happy for him just because of what I heard, what I've heard from the Italian press in terms of the way he's adapted to the life there and the culture there, and he's become one of the best players in the AC Milan team, which has gone on to win their first. Serie A title in 11 years I mean that's a massive achievement and English players typically when they go abroad don't usually adapt and they don't usually stay there for a long time and I don't know what it is about not embracing the culture maybe or they feel a little bit isolated which is quite different for when foreign players come over to England but from the way in which both Abraham and Tamari have become absolute figure pins in their stat in their sides. You know, beginning to learn the language and actually treat it like a long term plan rather than a little quick two year getaway. Get the reputation up and maybe get a big move. You need to treat it like an investment, which is really give you everything for that club and for the country that you're in. And I think they've done it absolutely to a T, where Mourinho's really trusted in Abraham. Um He's becoming quickly a, a fan favourite in Roma. Uh He probably might be on totty level in the next 10 years if he stays there. And then obviously Tamori. I mean, AC Milan have always been blessed with amazing centre-backs, but Tamori is looking incredible in that back line. Um, I watched a few games in Milan. He's been rock solid. So I think for him... It's been so long overdue and I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't start games for England, to be honest, just because he's, well, of course, I'm sure Southgate will want to see how he plays in a white shirt, but regardless of that, he's there based on merit and merit alone and that's it and that's how it should be, to be honest. Um, because his form has been sensational this season.
3: Another player whose form has been good over the last 18 months or two years, despite the fact he spent a large chunk of that time out with injury, is Leicester City's young fullback James Justin, who joined the club from Luton a few years ago. A bit of an under-the-radar signing, but he's actually been very, very consistent. I've spoken to James Justin a couple of times and he's a super nice lad as well. Um, very humble, uh, very hard-working. A bit of a surprise inclusion, this one. Ian but no one can deny that he's definitely a talented player and maybe one to watch for the future rather than the immediate term.
0: Well this is it yeah um obviously the, the squad that's been selected even if they these were the players that are going to the World Cup I think there's one or two too many in that side but we see it regularly in and, and I think you know people like Calvin Phillips have been in this position in the past where you know you, you're part of the squad you, you get the odd game here and there and and it's all good experience because as you say we've seen managers um name left field players give them their first cap in a in a world cup or a european tournament and and it never really works out there's, i think there's just too much going on you know, that whole, you know, you go from just being a part of a squad, you might be a very good player, but you're not, like, out there at the forefront. And all of a sudden, you're in the England squad, and that spotlight must just ramp up. You know, the amount of media attention you get, the the fact that there's, there's sometimes, you know, fans lining the streets as you depart in your coach or wherever you're going. Um, you know, the, the media attention, the column inches people having their say on social media about every single thing that you do you know it becomes more than just football doesn't it he's been talked about now on this podcast for example won't be talking about him if it wasn't in the England squad everything ramps up a load more and and that experience of not just being around the squad the routine that the players have and the management have and how the days go when you're part of these camps is one thing but just blooding them in there gently slowly but surely and letting them get used to it and acclimatize to it it's got to be a good thing because if you go from just being a player in a squad to then finding yourself in a world cup and especially if you're one of these guys that gets called up at the last minute and it's a big game and it's like oh it's been james justin has has been added to the, the squad and there's going to be all this you know extra focus beyond the fact that you've been selected to play in the game it's just it it I think it can probably screw players up to be honest. You know, the 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 all of the stuff that goes on especially in the era we live in with social media and stuff. You got to blood them in and and introduce them to the story gently, I think. Um you know, rather yeah. than in at the deep end and you know it, it can be brutal can't it football mm. you, you have a bad game if he if he got called up and had a bad game get absolutely hammered and gareth southgate get hammered of picking somebody he's never picked before and it, it's an insurance policy for both sides because it introduces him to the story of the england squad and um and you know for gareth southgate you can say look he's somebody that's been on my radar for ages and rather than just saying why did you pick him and go oh i just thought it was pretty good this week you know, it, it, <laughs>
3: I'm very happy yeah, for James it's Justin. Good. It's I have good. It's a um, good experience though. Yeah, certainly is. And just finally, Joel, on this one, James Justin, obviously a fullback. We talk about strength and depth that England do or don't have. Fullbacks though, I think we have a bit of an abundance of them. You're thinking about Trent Alexander-Arnold, who doesn't seem to get into Gareth Southgate starting 11 for whatever reason. Reese James, Ben Shilwell when he's fit, Luke Shaw when he's fit. Tino Livramento is another young fullback. James Justin is another young fullback. I'm probably missing out some glaringly obvious players as well. But you look at the strength and depth that we have in those fullback positions, which are so important to the modern game. Um, that's certainly positive, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but I think the only issue is that it's all on the right-hand side where the top, top quality is. Obviously, you have Trent Alexander. I forgot
3: Trippier, who's back in the team yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. He's fit
2: again now. I don't know if he'll end up making it back into the England squad again, but... You have Reese James and Trent Alexander Arnold, who are probably two of the best fullbacks in the world. So the issue for James Justin, he has is probably that he'll need to maybe adapt and potentially fill in on the left side if necessary, just because the two that I mentioned are just they're irreplaceable on that right side. Nobody gets ahead of either of them in terms of their ability. I think the left side's probably the weakest side in all honesty, where Luke Shaw is very, very 50-50 in terms of his form. Um Obviously, Ben Chilwell's had an issue with injuries. Hopefully, he comes back much fitter than before. Um, So yeah, I think the left side is 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 one that's very up for grabs at the moment. Uh, But it is good to see because obviously, in Southgate's system, the fullbacks are really important in terms of offering offering attacking threat. As it as we saw, you know, when Luke Shaw scored the goal. In the uh, Euro 2020 final, so it's they are big, big players, and they've become more and more important fullbacks in the the modern game at the moment. So it is good that we've got world class ability in those positions Um, I think it's just the case of moulding it all together and it'll be interesting to see who he chooses out of Trent and Reese James because they both offer very different things but for me I'd go for Reese James
3: yeah I mean so much to choose from from Gareth Southgate but the latest England squad sees the likes of Abraham and Tamori Jared Bowen and James Justin, their first call-ups. And of course, back in the side as well, Calvin Phillips and Kieran Trippier. You can find out the full England squad, of course, on social media. Um, if you're not of England persuasion, I'm sorry, but uh, there's certainly plenty of Premier League players involved across the international break, which is up- upcoming this summer. And I'm sure there'll be loads of transfer talk as well. Maybe some of those players might be moving clubs by the time we next do a podcast, which will be on Friday in a couple of days' time. Certainly suggestions that Burnley are getting close to a point in their new manager despite the fact that they have just dropped out of the Premier League. It could well be Vincent Company. Any of the latest news you can find on our website, sport-social.co.uk. But from myself, from Joel and Ian, that is it. And we'll catch you in a couple of days' time here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.